0: here on Hawaii Public Radio this is Catherine Cruz and this morning US representative Kyle Kahele joins us from Hilo aloha
1: Aloha, Catherine how are you thanks for having me
0: good I'm so happy that you were able to make time for us today you know
1: you,
0: you joined us here in the studios I think just as you were heading uh, to DC to get sworn into office and and we'd like you to re- reflect back on your first year but you know you've been in the news recently you're mulling over a possible run for governor and we will talk about that but first what's been dominating the headlines is the Red Hill water crisis and you've introduced legislation putting pressure on the military to decommission the underground uh, fuel storage facility I'm just curious what was the turning point for you
1: well you know Red Hill is is, is no uh, is nothing new um, in Hawaii uh, when I was chair of the Waterland Committee in the state Senate I did my first tour to Red Hill this was several years ago there's been incidents that have happened at Red Hill before. There's been outspoken people like Ernie Lau for, for years that have been warning us about Red Hill. Um, but what has happened over the last four months uh, is, is a turning point in um, Red Hill, and, and I believe it's it's, it's future here in uh, Hawaii. This is something that happened on November 20th and uh, has not stopped ever, ever since. And, and I think, for me, Hearing from families, going into their homes, seeing how uh, traumatically affected people were. Thousands of military families displaced from their homes, living in hotels and uh, homes without water, living with friends for the last, you know, two and a half months, celebrating the holidays in hotels. Uh, Kids going back and forth between, you know, seven affected schools in Waikiki. Um, you know, it just really struck a chord for me as a military service member and one that uh, you know knows what it's like um, to to do the things that we do every day as, as not just service members but our families and our dependents.
0: Well, you know, I think yeah, go ahead.
1: You know, just to be very very specific, I was um, extremely disappointed that the Pentagon and the Department of Defense decided to contest. The state's lawful emergency order and essentially sue the state and the people of Hawaii in both federal and state court. And when they announced that uh, in early February, that was the um, that that was really the breaking point for me. Drafting federal legislation is something that I have been uh, we have been working on for several weeks now, um, but that that to me was the was the trigger and 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 not informing delegation ahead of time that that is what they intended to do um you know I'm, I'm never nobody likes to find out something in the press find out something on the news and i just felt like after so many conversations public and private with the pentagon and the navy's senior leadership uh, that the congressional delegation um had deserved better the people of hawaii deserved better i looked at it as a betrayal of the people of hawaii and and um and adamantly felt at that point that this facility needed to be shut down and we needed the delegation needed to send a strong of a message to the Department of Defense through federal legislation. I sit on the House Armed Services Committee and work with the committee uh, subcommittee chairman that have direct purview over this issue. And we needed to put that into play. And um, that's exactly what we did last Friday.
0: You know, you talk about how these families have been dealing with this for months now. Uh, I was surprised at this week's uh, Water Commission meeting. Uh, a former commissioner, uh, Michael Maikalani Beamer, uh, spoke about meeting a child who ingested fuel and is still showing traces of poisoning. Uh, take a listen.
1: I've, I've met some of the families just at, a, at an event just this past week. Uh, a woman whose, whose daughter ingested fuel, Um, on base that still has um, detectable levels of fuel in her bloodstream. Um, I mean, this is really, really serious and egregious. So I believe, you know, the commission has uh, the authority to link water usages to the decommissioning of the tanks.
0: You know, you've got children, you know, (laughs) you've got daughters. I guess, what's that like listening to that, knowing that they still have traces in the bloodstream?
1: it's, It's It's deeply personal to me, Catherine, because I myself consumed a large amount of water on the 26th of February, excuse me, I'm so sorry, the 26th of November from Hickam Air Force Base that uh, caused me to have uh, health effects throughout that entire weekend. My family, my entire staff had dinner, Ruby Tuesdays on Sunday night, November 28th. And and several of our staff consumed the water themselves and were affected on Monday, the 29th and on Tuesday, the 30th. So uh, I can, you know, um, I know what that family feels like. And I think about my children, who we all sat there and had dinner that night, not knowing, Catherine, that the water that we were consuming and the water I had consumed just two days prior at Hickam Air Force Base, coming from the commissary on Friday, the 26th was contaminated with petroleum. And, and I didn't know why I was, wasn't feeling well on Saturday the 27th, why I had splitting headaches on Sunday the 28th, why I woke up at 5 a.m. on Monday the 29th preparing to go speak at Kamehameha schools, and I had a splitting headache, and I called my comms director or texted her at 5 a.m. and said, can you please bring me any kind of um, pain relief medicine because what I'm taking right now is not working, and i got to go deliver a speech in an hour and a half at Kamehameha. I didn't realize that until 7 o'clock p.m. on Monday, the 29th, when the Department of Health put out their order or their strong advisory to stop drinking the water on the Navy's water system. It was then that I realized what I had consumed and what so many other people had consumed. And I drove straight to Halsey Terrace, Caitlin Drive, right by Lagoon Drive. And I went house to house at 9 o'clock at night on Monday, the 29th, collecting water samples from residents that would let me into their homes, and it reeked of petroleum or pesticide or something was in the water. And I got on an airplane, Catherine, on the 30th of November, and I flew to Washington, D.C. with that water. I presented it in the House Armed Services Committee hearing on Thursday the 2nd. You know, at that time, it wasn't confirmed that there were petroleum hydrocarbons in the water, but I knew by going into those homes, by smelling the water myself, by having the water samples myself, that I was able to let other members of Congress smell in Washington, D.C. on Wednesday the 1st and Thursday the 2nd, that that water was contaminated. And I held it up in the committee hearing. This was way before anything, uh, you know, uh, people realized how, how grave this situation was. And I, I, I said, this water has petroleum in it, and this is going to be a crisis of astronomical proportions, and it has unfortunately lived up to exactly that. And this is February 17th. Uh, and in some cases, we are in no better position than where we were back then on uh, December 2nd. Uh, the Red Hill well is still not remediated. Only one section of Navy housing is still uh, or is allowed to go back and, and, and you know, is, is habitable and you can consume the water. This is still a major, major problem. It is costed over, I estimate, at least a half a billion dollars. Uh, and, uh, you know, there's a $403 million appropriation in the... House and Senate appropriations bills, Mahalo Nui Law, Congressman Case, Senator Schatz, for their leadership on the Appropriations Committee. But this is this nightmare is not over, Catherine, and it has consumed uh, all of my time for the last four months.
0: Well, you also uh, spoke out, you were concerned about the flushing that was about to get underway. And, you know, it, it, it's a tremendous effort, you know, uh, you know, millions of gallons, hundreds of millions of gallons getting flushed uh, every single day. Uh, At that Water Commission meeting uh, this week, uh, Travis Hilton of Naval Facilities Engineering Systems Command uh, said that, you know, they've been doing this uh, tremendous effort uh, and they hope to find better use for the water that is now being flushed into Halava Stream. This is not the highest and best use of this water discharging to the stream. And so we have a uh, project underway to look at uh, potential beneficial uses of that water. Uh, and uh, the, the the contractor there is uh, will be giving a uh, initial assessment uh, within the, uh, the next few days uh, to see what some of the potentials might be uh, for directing that effluent to a, a beneficial reuse. What are your thoughts on all that water being flushed?
1: I mean, it's it's a, it's a it's you know your delta hand where like every hand or every card you have is 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 a bad card you have to play in and this is one of those situations where you know this bad hand is the is the best case scenario we have to remediate that well and minimize the fuel plume from spreading you know and it's it's you know one of the reasons that uh, you know Senator Kioho and myself went up to Red Hill at like 10 to 10 o'clock at night on that Saturday night January 29th when they commenced uh, the, the flushing of this well and the um, discharge of, you know, 4 million gallons that night and upwards of 5 million gallons of water into the South Fork of what would then become down by Law Stadium, the uh, Halava Stream. It, it's a tremendous waste of water. Now, I will tell you that, you know, we, we've talked for weeks about remediating this Red, Red Hill well. They talked about it that night about finding an alternative uh, uh, use of this water. Uh, whether it could be utilized for agricultural use or some other type of use besides discharging it into the stream. Well, this is February 17th. They've been pumping that well since January 29th in the evening. We're still talking about maybe we can have a solution for it. Maybe we can do this, right? It's, it's, it, you know, the people of Hawaii are, are tired of Red Hill. They're tired of wasting water, millions of gallons of water, and um, I don't blame them. You know, and uh, the, the, you know, the Navy has just not um, been able to um, show that that they can be proper stewards of the environment, proper stewards of our natural resources, and 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 act quickly and decisively. That's something that that lacks throughout this entire state in many many occasions. Catherine is being decisive, taking action, bringing people together. And um, you know, minimizing the type of waste that we see here uh, with our precious resource. You know, we all we all grew up listening to Jerry Santos, right? And the mm-hmm. uh you know, Malama Ikavai, you know, jingo that he would play on the radio station. And uh we all grew up, you know, Ola Ikavai, right? Water is life and you don't you don't run the hose when you're washing your car, you don't run the faucet when you're brushing your teeth, you know. Water is precious. We take it for granted and um you know it's it's as a native Hawaiian, it's hard for me to to see all of this water being discharged into the stream when it when it uh, could be used for so many other purposes.
0: You know, we do have a number of uh, uh, questions that have come in from our listeners. Uh, Lynn Kobayashi says, "Thank you for introducing strong Red Hill legislation." Her question: Why did you set a December 2022 deadline? The fuel leakage first came to light eight years ago, and only prompted governmental action when military personnel became affected this is an environmental disaster why can't your deadline conform to the state's much shorter deadline
1: so the, I mean the state doesn't have a deadline right the state uh, part of the state's five um, emergency order requirements is is what the Navy's doing right now which is complying with that order uh, they have procured a third-party assessment team that has come in to analyze the entire system and how they will um, uh, drain the 14 fuel tanks that have fuel in them. Looking at the operational structure, um, policies, procedures, emergency procedures to make sure that that can be drained safely. That third-party assessment will be done um, based on their timeline by the end of April. They will then submit that final report to the State of Hawaii, uh, the Office of the Governor, the Department of Health, who will then review that uh, that report, and then, based on the recommendations from the third party, green light what needs to be done at the Red Hill facility, to then get it to the point where we can defuel. So that's going to take a little bit of time, be- depending on what that report says. You know, there was an incident there on uh, uh, February sixth, seventh, that uh, that severed a a large pipe main that's going into tank twenty that still right now does not is not reconnected. It's sitting on the ground in the lower access tunnel. That needs to be fixed. We can't drain the fuel out of tank twenty without fixing that. So it's gonna take a little bit of time to fix some of the structural things that we need to do to drain the tanks. And uh and I believe that everything that I just described can be done before the end of this year. And that's why we put a hard date in there of draining the tanks by December thirty first of this year and then the subsequent what it would take to do to permanently close the facility once those tanks are drained.
0: We have a question from Mike Sheehan. Uh, how does the Navy get its fuel if the Red Hill tanks are shut down? You sit on the Armed Services Committee. Are you yeah,
1: I mean, great question. I mean, the, the Navy doesn't just have Red Hill. The Navy has above-ground, you know, millions of gallons of above-ground storage tanks. You drive right by them. When you drive by the uh, Pearl Harbor um, Pack Fleet headquarters location, you look to your right, see these big giant white tanks that's the fuel that's the f-76 that's the jp-5 uh or the jp-8 fuel that the navy uses navy diesel hickam air force base they have above ground fuel tanks that stores uh the the jp jet fuel that feeds all the aircraft at hickam air force base so they have a significant amount of above ground uh fuel that they have now more than enough to sustain current operations of course that fuel comes in via uh, that that anchor off of Kalailoa that through a pipeline to Par Hawaii um, is then refined and then is transferred basically along the H1 West Highway. And that pipeline goes under the, you know, it follows H1 and it ends up at Pearl Harbor. Uh, It is then uh, used to fill those above ground tanks and then via pumps is pumped up to Red Hill where it is then stored in, you know, at any given time, 14 Uh, large tanks at about 9 to 10 million gallons each tank, and then they gravity flow through a a complex system of valves and and switches to move that fuel down to the above-ground holding tank. So the long, short answer is they have more than enough fuel to sustain steady-state operations right now. Um, Obviously, they would need much more fuel if there was a contingency in the Indopaycon Theater, um, and they have... You know, operational plans on how to do that. There, there are a number of fuel tanks uh, throughout the entire indo pacom region, Australia, Japan, Guam, other islands, other locations. You have Oilers at sea. You know, the, the Navy has the capability to figure out how to uh, provide fuel to um, its combat forces in the Pacific if, if that's what they needed.
0: Well, if you're just joining the conversation, we are talking with Congressman Kai Kahele. You got something to ask? Want, to clara- want him to clarify uh, his position on an issue close to your heart? Uh, call us at 941-3689 on Oahu or one 941 3689 from the neighbor islands. Uh, a, a couple questions from Kavella Lee. When are you going back to D.C. to convince your colleagues to shut down Red Hill. Uh, she also goes. Uh, you're considering running for governor. Isn't that abandoning your post when we need representation so badly? Fighting to protect our water at Red Hill.
1: Great questions. You know, I'm in. I am in constant communication with um, members of the House Armed Services Committee, including uh, Chairman Adam Smith, and uh, you know, very key subcommittee chairmen, John Garamendi from California, Joe Courtney. Um, who chair both the subcommittee on readiness and sea power, and, and we um, uh, will be following this bill, House Resolution 6714. Uh, you can look it up on Congress.gov. Senator Schatz has introduced the companion version in the Senate, and uh, you know now that it is referred to the House Armed Services Committee, it will be referred to a subcommittee. Once it gets referred to a subcommittee, uh, then it's the opportunity um, for the subcommittee chairman to schedule the bill for a hearing. Whether that's a joint hearing with another subcommittee or, um, or an individual subcommittee, so I look forward to the next step in a process. Everything is part of the process, and uh, the next step, once it is um, uh, uh, assigned to a subcommittee, is to have a uh, have a hearing on it. That hearing will give us a great opportunity to require the Department of Defense to come into the House Armed Services Committee and to submit. Written testimony and to answer questions from every member on the House Armed Services Committee. There's about 60 of us um, to, uh, on, on this particular bill, House Resolution 6714, the VI Act, Red Hill VI Act. And so I, I look forward to, uh, to having that hearing and to working with my colleagues to do that. You know, they're very well aware of what's happening here in Hawaii, but often because of our geographic, you know. Uh, Isolation, I guess you want to say, in the Pacific. We're 5,000 miles away from Washington, D.C. There are many members that know very little about Red Hill or don't even understand what's happening out here with the military, uh, the facility itself. And so there's a lot of educating we need to do. And Congressman Case and I have multiple conversations with other members of Congress on educating them about this. Um, I know members want to come out to Hawaii to tour the facility and site itself. Um, but but this bill will be the first opportunity for us to have a public uh hearing on it and that's important because it it puts the military on record whether they support or oppose the bill or support parts of it or they say why they can't do it and um, you know that's part of the legislative process
0: you know uh, we did get some listeners uh, calling in uh, to ask their uh, questions and early on the delegation did ask the governor to uh, declare an emergency and uh, reach out to President Biden. But here's what uh, Kevin from Oahu had to say.
1: My name is Kevin O'Leary, Honolulu. Why doesn't the entire congressional delegation, senators and representatives, merely take a meeting with President Biden and lay this problem out before him directly, rather than legislatively, which is going to take, at minimum, the rest of this year, according to the bill that you and Representative Case have put forth. So I think direct contact with the executive branch who controls the Navy could get this done more efficient and faster as the state has demanded. Thank you. Great question, thanks for the question. To answer that, we have been. Um, We have been in direct communication with the White House Our senior delegation members have been in direct communication with the chief of staff in a direct line to the president to convey him of of what is happening out here in Hawaii. He is also getting, um, uh, you know, briefed by the secretary of defense and people at the Pentagon, right? And so he's hearing it from both sides. But you are absolutely correct. The president of the United States can issue an order to the commander, as the commander in chief, to the secretary of defense to shut down Red Hill, just like President H.W. Bush sent a uh, memo to the Pentagon to stop bombing Kaho'olawe, which put it and initiated a series of events that returned Kaho'olawe to the state of Hawaii. Um, The president could do that. He hasn't done it yet. But we are, the delegation um, has been conveying that message to the White House um, and that, you know, we are waiting for the president to do that. He hasn't done it, so we have done what we do, which is we're not in the White House, right? We're We're the legislative branch. We're legislating. And that's why we've introduced this piece of legislation. But I, I hear your frustrations. I wish the Pentagon would just do it themselves. You don't need the president. You don't need the Congress. Just say, hey, this is the right thing to do. It's been there for 80 years. It's an engineering marvel. It's outlived its, uh, its usefulness. And, uh, and, you know, it's, it's time to go. They could do it on their own. We don't have to be suing the state. We don't have to be putting the people of Hawaii through this. They could willingly close it on their own. And they have not shown the the ability to do that yet. And so these are these are part of the processes that we're taking um, to do what with the, what is within our power as the Congress is to legislate um, the closure of this facility.
0: We do have a call coming in from Kaimu Key Braxton. What's on your mind?
1: Uh, I was just going to say that um, I think the congressman demonizing the Navy is KIND OF DISRESPECTFUL, I DON'T THINK IT'S HELPFUL TO ANYONE. AND IF THE TANKS CAN BE MADE SAFE OR ASSURANCES CAN BE PROVIDED, WHY WOULDN'T THE CONGRESSMAN BE WILLING TO ACCEPT THAT? GREAT QUESTION. YOU KNOW, I'VE, I've BEEN IN THE MILITARY FOR 21 YEARS. AND, um, YOU KNOW, I'VE SERVED OVERSEAS MULTIPLE TIMES. I'M A PROUD MEMBER OF THE UNITED STATES MILITARY. BUT I WILL NEVER SACRIFICE uh, THE WATER AND THE SAFETY, HEALTH AND WELFARE OF OUR CHILDREN AND THE PEOPLE OF Hawaii. And um, the Navy has not come to grips and understood that. And so we're not demonizing anyone here. Uh, We are being very clear um, with the United States Navy in in how they need to address the situation. Secondary containment doesn't exist. The technology for secondary containment does not exist anywhere of this scale. You can do secondary containment for a gas station underground storage tank, but not for something that's as big as a loss Aloha Tower, a 747 jetliner, it doesn't exist. The Navy in its own documents admits secondary containment will take till 2045 to implement, and it will take billions of dollars of taxpayer money to invest in a technology that does not exist and will have to evolve over time. We don't have time for that. 3,000 gallons of unaccounted for fuel caused this catastrophe that we have right now we cannot afford to have a, a tank rupture and collapse and drain millions of gallons of fuel into the aquifer there are 14 tanks that have fuel in them right now three of those tanks have never been touched in 41 years they have never been inspected tanks three tanks four have never been looked at since 1983 tank number 11 has never been looked at since 1981 they have millions of gallons of fuel in them right now.
0: Well if you we cannot joining-
1: we cannot put that at risk. And so the Navy must understand this. And and secondary containment, in my opinion, is not an option because it will cost so much money and it is an unproven technology that, that does not exist and we cannot wait twenty five years to implement this.
0: Well, you're listening to The Conversation here on Hawaii Public Radio, and you can join us at the table with Representative Kai Kahele. Call 1-877-941-3689. But stay with us. We'll be right back after a short break.
1: Support for HPR comes from CSWO & Sons, in Hawaii since 1909, providing home furnishings for the islands, from classic to contemporary to casual. Learn more online at cswoandsons.com. Each week, New Dimensions explores the social, political, scientific, environmental, and spiritual frontiers with some of today's foremost social innovators, thinkers, scientists, and creative artists.
0: Hello, I'm Caradwen Fallingstar, author of Broth from the Cauldron. Next time on New Dimensions, I'll be talking about the wisdom and magic from a Wiccan perspective.
1: Beginning Sunday morning at 11. <laughs>
0: Know, we do have a number of questions on other issues, but I, I do want to uh, uh, add one thing. Is I did see some documents relating to a contract, I think, with a French company to provide lining, uh, uh, for, you know, for some of those tanks. Uh, if those tanks can be proven to be made safe, you know, I know there have been issues raised about the fire suppression system, the concrete uh, that's deteriorating, uh, and then you know the you know, crazy things like the cameras being, uh, the security cameras not being, uh, 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 you know, working in uh, working order. Uh, But if they can prove that we can make this facility safe, would you support um, allowing it to
1: remain? No, I would not. And this is why, Catherine. These tanks sit 100 feet above our water aquifer. The Navy has told us for years that the facility is safe, that this could never happen, that we have all of these mitigation measures in place. Um, and it did happen. And there are thousands of people that have been sick. They've consumed fuel. They've been misplaced. They've bathed their infants in petroleum-contaminated water. We cannot allow this to happen. This is a federally recognized sole source aquifer. It provides 77% of the fresh water from the Eva Plain all the way out to Hawaii Ka'i. There is no possible way that we can ever do anything to mitigate or eliminate the risk to that water aquifer. If it is permanently damaged, that will have catastrophic um, results throughout all of Honolulu, urban Honolulu. We have to find another way for the Navy to have their fuel. And and one should argue, why should the island of Oahu and its one million residents bear the brunt of the Navy's strategic fuel reserve in the in the PACOM region you know we we have to figure out something else you know and i'm a service member i know service members that have been affected we we get it we accept the dangers of our duties it's why we 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 volunteer to serve our country but we do that with the expectation that our country is going to keep our families safe and in this situation the military has failed to do that and and that's not something that I can accept anymore, and, and uh, I don't think there's anything that we can do. Um, and the billions of dollars of taxpayer uh, resources that we will have to spend, uh, that can mitigate uh, the risk to the, the aquifer. And so I do not support that.
0: Uh, you know, I did talk with uh, uh, retired uh, Army uh, General uh, Robert Lee, Bob Lee, and he's an engineer by training, and he just said he wonders if we aren't looking at the wrong uh, system. The, not so much the, the tanks, because there, you know, there's redundancy, some redundancy built in on that. But uh, he was concerned about the piping system, the pipelines.
1: It's all of it. It's the cameras. You can't even get the cameras to work. You know, which which doesn't allow us to have footage of both of those events because someone severed the electrical line to the cameras. It's the piping. It's, it's The facility is 80 years old. When they were building the facility and encasing the steel-lined tanks with concrete, they were having to fill it up so quick, quickly with concrete because water was filling up the cavity that the tank was sitting in. You can't inspect the exterior of the, 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 the lining of the tank. It's impossible to do. A technician has to crawl through nozzles uh, that go into the uh, underbelly of each tank when they do maintenance on it you know there, there's so much that has to be done there uh and it, it I, I just feel like you, you cannot mitigate uh, the red hill facility enough to eliminate the risk to the water aquifer which would be absolutely devastating you know go visit red hill elementary school or, or any of the other elementary schools that have been dealing with this crisis for months now they can't use their kitchen. The, the the seals in the toilets were corroding because of the petroleum in the water. They had to replace the toilets or the infrastructure on the toilets. Kids yeah. are washing their hands via Home Depot buckets in the bathrooms. Not too many people know that that's going on right now. It's seven of our elementary schools in two complexes. This is a major crisis. And and that, and that that's just with 3,000 gallons of fuel.
0: Okay, we've got one last uh, Red Hill question. Michelle from Kaneohe.
1: Hi. 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 Hello, Michelle.
0: Yeah, I, have enough, I had another related um, question. Uh, it's just come to light on the news in the last couple of days that apparently the Marine Corps has been, uh, let's see, they operate Camp Lejeune in North Carolina, and apparently yep. they're having water issues there that are paralleling what's going on yep. with, the, with Red Hill. And what I'd like to know is how much is the Pentagon covering up, how many different localities. And, you know, this, to me, should expand on our imperative to get the military away from our aquifers.
1: And I applaud your effort toward this. Fantastic question. Thank you for asking that. This is personal to me as well. At Lejeune is where my dad went to Marine corps base recruit camp, and he was there in 1960. From 1953 to 1987, water contamination existed at Marine Corps Base Lejeune. And if you consumed water, if you were there for longer than 30 days at Camp Lejeune from 1953 to 1987, just see, look at that window of time, whether you are a service member or a dependent, and you consumed water during that period, and you were there for longer than 30 days, and the consumption of that water led to health effects that caused cancer, uh, kidney cancer, or, or like seven or eight different types of major health issues, you were uh, eligible for a, um, a, a payment that the United States Congress authorized under the Obama administration for $2 billion because of a huge class-action lawsuit. So this, to your point, this Red Hill incident is not just what we're spending right now. The effects of this will will transfer to the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs, who will have to deal with this in the future, because many of these service members and their families who consume that water during this period of time all have LODs, uh, line of duty documentation that they consume the water and potentially could have health effects in the future. We don't know what we don't know. You have children that have high toxicity tests that are coming in right now, just like Kamana Beamer stated, and a a, uh, a mother came up to me at the Capitol the day we had our press conference to show me the toxicity test on her phone that her children who consume the water have high levels of toxicity in their bloodstream because of the petroleum hydrocarbons that they consumed. So this is not over. And Camp Lejeune is a great example of, of what the military has done at other locations throughout the United States where they have um, you know, poisoned uh, the uh, water. The water has been contaminated. People have consumed it. They did nothing about it. And, and now we, as taxpayers, are having to pay the burden of the, the brunt of that.
0: So, so uh, there are so many uh, issues we want to tackle on this. Uh, we appreciate your uh, uh, efforts and uh, willingness to uh, talk about Red Hill. Uh, do have another concern uh, by a listener uh, who's tortured by tour helicopter noise. Yes. To date, you provided no meaningful relief. Uh, you've not supported representative cases legislation or advocated for um, uh, you know, the House Quiet Skies uh, legislation, when and how will you provide your Hawaii constituents the serenity they need and deserve, free from copter noise and nuisance pollution torture?
1: <laughs> so we have worked on, you know, just because we don't do things in public doesn't mean we're not working hard in private. And I can tell you, I've been dealing with the FAA and the Flight Standards District Office at the local level for the entire time that I have been on. Representing Hawaiian Congress. And we have been uh, not only working with them, but working with um, uh, elected officials on other islands, like Councilmember Mike Molina, Yukile Sugimura, and other um, elected officials that have um, similar issues, Representative Scott Matayoshi in, in Kaneohe, on how to address this very issue. I have implored the FAA Light Standards District Office to attend a Kailua Neighborhood Board meeting and to report to. Um, that community on what they're doing to update the Common Air Tour Procedures Manual. You know, Congressman Case's bill is one vehicle to address this, but we also haven't been able to get a hearing in the Aviation Subcommittee on the T&I Committee. Congressman Case and I have been working closely with Chairman Rick Larson to have a hearing on quiet skies and air traffic noise, whether it's from a general aviation fixed-wing aircraft or from a rotary-wing helicopter tour helicopter. And so, you know, we have been working very, very hard on this. Um, but uh, up until now, the FAA has not been willing to um, implement any concrete procedures to address noise and the, these issues and have uh, worked with the helicopter tour industry to try and find some middle ground and do this. But we're, we're actively working on it. And uh, um, I was able to bring the FAA out to Kauai. Uh, to meet with uh, the airport and the local, um, uh, I guess, uh, venues in the immediate area of Kauai and Lihui Airport to address their noise complaints. So we're, we are working on it. This is something that is uh, very important to me. I worked on it when I was in the State Senate and championed a piece of legislation uh, that created an air tool working group that, that so far hasn't done what it's supposed to do. Uh, and um, it's my understanding that the Department of Transportation just... Um, abolished the working group and I'm, I'm not sure why they did that so we will get to the bottom of this but this is an issue that is all over the country helicopter tour noise general aviation noise is all over the country Hawaii is not um, unique to this but, but you know we're we're working on fixing it
0: we do have a question from Rick from Havi. Uh his concern is with the swimming pool in North Kohala it's been closed indefinitely uh, built in 1974 his question is Would there be federal funds available for a project like this, you know, through, I don't know, ADA, Americans with Disabilities Act, Federal CARES money, Build Back Better Possibilities?
1: You know, there's questions I can answer, questions I can't answer, and that one I can't answer. And so um, I would be glad to take your um, information if there's a way to get it. And, um, you know, uh, I'll I'll throw my number out there. Catherine will do it at the end of the show. Please send me the information. If it's a swimming pool in Kohala, I'm assuming it's the County Parks and Recreation one. It is. I can it work is. together with Mayor Mitch Roth and, uh, and, and see what the issue is there. Um, but uh, um, let me get back to you on that one so okay. I can give you a, a good, solid answer, and I'm not just uh, you know shooting in a barrel.
0: All right. And then we did get another uh, question, this one from Shell from the Big Island, also related, I think, to the Build Better uh, plan.
1: Aloha, this is Shell from Baba Big Island. LA is in my district. Um, we need to get his answer on things like the Build Back Better plan and which way he voted and, um, you know, whether he believes in reforming the medical system in the United States, which is so appallingly unproductive. I'll be listening. Aloha, bye. Thanks so much. Great question. Um, absolutely. Build Back Better Act. I mean, I wish it was passed already. It, it's not. That bill is stuck in the United States Senate. Senator Manchin, um, I think everyone in the country knows his name now, and, and he has brought that bill to a stop. We, we, the House of Representatives has passed key, meaningful pieces of legislation and sent it to the U.S. Senate, from the PRO Act, the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, the Equality Act, Build Back Better Act, all of these things are sitting and dying in the United States Senate. There's nothing right now we can do about it, and it is extremely unfortunate. Um, In that bill is key provisions that I think are transformative for the nation. Universal preschool for every three, four, and five-year-old child in the nation. The ability to reduce and negotiate prescription drug prices through Medicare and lowering the cost of insulin and and fixing our healthcare industry. Huge investments in um, climate change, and sustainable aviation fuels and resiliency I mean there, there's so much in the Build Back Better Act um, that any one of those things would be transformative and all of them are are stuck in the US Senate we have another and, question uh, it, it frustrates us
0: we have another question uh, this one about the already outmoded radar system installation on Kauai's west side in view of the military shameful lack of oversight at Red Hill it would be another hardship on the people of Kauai. And I have to ask, who benefits and who pays the price?
1: Thank you for the question. I, I, I agree. You know, I mean, my, my perspective has uh, has shifted over the last uh, four months based on my direct interaction with, with the military. And and don't forget, I put on a uniform myself every drill weekend, uh, every month, and I, I show up to drill, you know, next month in March. And I'm, I'm not Congressman Hele when I show up to drill. I'm Lieutenant Colonel Hele And, uh, you know, I, I I know the role that I'm in depending on the hat that I'm wearing. However, uh, the radar facility is going through its draft EIS process, and I'm looking forward to seeing the results of that. Um, you know, we, we are out in the middle of the Pacific. We are vulnerable. Um, that needs to be addressed. Whether it's the radar facility that can protect us against a ballistic missile or not, uh, we'll, we'll find out what the EIS says, um, uh, and, you know, again, let. let I think we, we need to take a look at uh, what the EIS is and, and what the Missile Defense Agency's plan is before we make any final decision on it. And I also think it's it's uh, not imminent, it's you know several years away from making a, a key decision on this project.
0: Well, uh, a number of our listeners uh, know that you are uh, mulling over a run for governor. Uh, can you explain your position there?
1: You know, right now I'm, I'm just doing my job in Hawaii, dealing with Red Hill, dealing with, um, uh, you know, COVID and, and what we can do at the federal level. You know, I'm getting a chance to go around the state on, on very meaningful, productive site visits to hear from people, what their concerns are, and uh, how I can best help Hawaii. And that's really what I'm doing right now. Um, you know, I, I haven't made a, a definitive final decision on what those long-term political plans are. Um, you know, at, at the end of the day, my dad always said, you do what's the best for your family. You do what's in your heart that you feel is the best thing you can do to help the people of Hawaii. And, and that's, that's what I'm going to do. And, and listening to their concerns, hearing what people feel like for the strategic direction that the state is going in, how people feel about uh, government and transparency and the electoral process, the campaign process is, is obviously something that has come up in the last few weeks. And I'm just going to continue to do what I've always done. So it's whether it's Red Hill, COVID, the economy, or many of the other issues that we've discussed. You know, I'm committed to working with the community, my state colleagues, my fellow congressional delegates. At the end of the day, it's to build a future for our our children. You know, my daughters are five and seven. I think about what Hawaii is going to be like for them. Our kids deserve the best. Um, You deserve the best. The people of Hawaii deserve the best. And it's to build a resilient and a healthy Hawaii for all of us to be able to— thrive in and to uh, to enjoy
0: well and we, that's, that's what I'm gonna do we have a question from John from Maui uh, what is uh, your position on the TMT on the big island Thirty minute t- telescope
1: good question you know I mean that's something that, that we uh, you know I I get up every morning I look at Mauna Kea my house is up in Waikiuca you know I mean I've been working on uh, finding a solution for Mauna Kea for, for several years now and uh, when I was in the state Senate you know I did a, a bill presentation, took it across the state, you know, took a lot of political heat for it. But I felt as a native Hawaiian and someone who lives here on Hawaii Island, whose family comes from Miloli'i, fishing village on Hawaii Island, that I had an obligation or a kuleana to try and figure out a path forward. Uh, Obviously, the legislation I worked on didn't didn't pass a few years ago. There's a piece of legislation going through the Hawaii State uh, House of Representatives right now that kind of looks like the one that I was working on two or three years ago. Um, but at the end of the day, I, I believe that uh, there has to be a way for astronomy and the environment and the culture to coexist. Um, you know, I believe that management of Mauna Kea needs to be changed. But I also believe that the University of Hawaii and that the uh, uh, key stakeholders in the community need to come to the table and figure out what that path looks like to move forward. Um, you know, we, we have some of the best telescopes up there right now today. Canada, France. Subaru, Keck, there are fantastic telescopes up there today that have technology that um, probably needs to be updated to make those ground-based telescopes even more stronger and more powerful if they choose to do that. And so, you know, there, you, you have to find a balance. And and finding a balance for anything in Hawaii is the ability for us to coexist together and, and, and find solutions where we can we can heal some of the, the generational trauma that has existed for decades, has never been addressed, and find a way that we can we can come together and move forward. And Mauna Kea is one of those uh, issues that has divided our community on we this have, island.
0: We have a number of questions on over-tourism. Uh, uh, I think uh, also Puakaloa. Uh, but I do want to uh, find out what you're thinking with the recent headlines about the bribery scandal uh, with uh, a couple of your former colleagues there at the State Yeah, I mean,
1: thank you for the question. It is, uh, you know, I mean, I'm very, very disappointed, I feel for the families. I know both of them personally, obviously served with them in the legislature. Uh, It was shocking to me to see, um, uh, you know, what was alleged and what they admitted and pleaded guilty to. And, you know, it's it's not just both of those individuals and their families, it's just the entire perception and, and it's not a perception. It is a fact that, uh, you know, there is problems in Hawaii's political system in how the system is set up and how campaign finance is set up. Uh, and, and it only reaffirms, the, I think, the general public's belief that um, we have issues in, in Hawaii politics and it, they need to be addressed and they need to be taken seriously. And um, it is very, very disappointing because I know both of them personally and uh you know at the end of the day we all make choices in our life and 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 if you decide to make uh, a wrong choice like they have then then you have to you have to man up and pay the pay the penalty and pay the price and 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 they will and um that's very very unfortunate for them um do you think there should
0: be it, a, a more oversight when it comes to lobbyists and uh you know absolutely. contractors and absolutely and- Uh, and I know uh, uh, Milton Choi did make a number of you know legal campaign contributions and I think you've been on the receiving end as well as your dad Uh, anything you want to let listeners know about that
1: Yeah, I've never received any contributions from Milton Choi for my congressional campaign I did receive uh, looking back because my my state Senate account has been largely dormant for uh, at least two years now ever since I announced for Congress and um, just like many others at the legislature, you know, Milton did donate to my campaigns, and that's um, um, unfortunate. I'll be following the path of my other former colleagues and what they're doing um, at the legislature.
0: And uh, you know, getting back to uh, this decision about whether or not you run for governor, I know, uh, according to the polls, the front runner, uh, Josh Green, uh, Lieutenant Governor Josh Green, has a, a pretty hefty uh, war chest. Uh, if you do jump in, I mean that that puts you at a disadvantage because you don't, you know, have that kind of uh, a campaign. Uh, he's been doing basically the whole time he's been in office.
1: You know, Catherine, I've never, I've never felt that um, my decision or, or serving the people was ever based on money. Um, I am someone who believes in the power of the people and not in the power of money, and and so that's not something that I worry about.
0: Well, I, I think back to uh, Bernard Akana when he ran for mayor and he spent a fraction of what uh, uh, Mayor Dante Carpenter, I think, sent in his, uh, spent on his campaign. I mean,
1: David, David Ige spent, uh, uh, you know, a considerable amount less than um, the incumbent governor when he became governor of Hawaii. You know, money, I don't, I don't think money matters to people. What matters to people is their heart, their ability to lead, their ability to be trustworthy, to be decisive. To, um, to work for the people, to walk with the people, to hear the people, to be empathetic, compassionate, but decisive, to listen. Those are the key traits of a true leader and one who leads their life with aloha. Um, well, and and uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to the people of Hawaii for all races, county, state, congressional, to, to, to vote and to register to vote and make your voices heard. If you are not happy with, um, representation, including myself yeah, representing you, then you should vote and make your voice heard. And that's our democratic process. And it's the time, Catherine, every election year when individuals like myself and others who have the honor to serve the people of Hawaii, you know, we go before them and get our report card and, and we, we uh, get graded on how we've done. And that's the democratic process. And I, I truly believe in that.
0: All right. Well, uh, we do uh, thank you for your time today. Uh, Again, lots of questions, and we still have uh, some that we didn't get to, again, uh, on Pohakaloa as well as uh, over tourism. And uh, uh, hopefully you'll stick around and maybe uh, answer those uh, offline because we are getting to the uh, uh, close of the hour. Uh, But uh, we'll just have to see uh, when you get back to uh, D.C. and uh, what happens with the uh, Red Hill bill. Lots of interest there.
1: Yeah, thanks, Catherine. And, and anyone who didn't get their question answered, please just email either kahele.house.gov or call 808-746-6220. I'm here in my office in Hilo. I'm looking at four eager staff members ready for your phone <laughs> calls. So you just call and they will answer the phone. And, uh, oh, I'm sorry, H uh, I. You know, what? just call the phone number. Let's make it simple. 808-746-6220. And just, uh, I got four staff members ready to answer the phone. They'll get your questions. We'll answer them. And I look forward to uh, meeting each and every one of you, either on the phone or in person or an email, whatever it takes.
0: All right. Mahalo, uh, uh, Representative Gaheli. That winds up this hour for us. Tomorrow we prepare to mark 80 years since uh, internment orders were handed down and those of Japanese descent were sent to live behind barbed wire in camps across the country. Do you have an internment story? Call our talk back line, 808-792-8217. Email us at talkback at hawaiipublicradio.org and you can connect with Facebook too. I'm Katherine Cruz. Join us tomorrow for more of the conversation.